If you would, turn with me to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 5. Um, we are going to be looking at the first 16 verses of the, the book of Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We are doing a two-week series on uh, the Beatitudes. And so we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount uh, this week and then next week. So, um, so would you uh, pray with me as you finish turning there in your Bibles? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your house. There are areas around the world that don't have that privilege as freely as we do. So we don't, we don't take it for granted, but we thank you for it. But we thank you for your word that is free for us to look at and to study. And Lord, this morning as we open it up, may, through the power of your spirit, may it speak to our hearts. May it challenge us May it cause us to live differently. And so, Lord, as we, uh, as we explore these Beatitudes together, Lord, come and teach us some new things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've titled this series uh, Upside Down. Upside Down Kingdom Living. A little over a year ago, I took a surf trip with three buddies of mine to uh, Costa Rica. Now, uh, this was a dream of mine for many, many years because uh, I grew up in Florida, on the east coast uh, of Florida, right there by Cocoa Beach. I, li- I grew up in a little town called Indian Harbor Beach. It was a mile wide and a mile, uh, it was a mile by a mile. Uh, little, little, little town I- I- on the coast of, of Florida. And uh, we would go up to Cocoa Beach to go surfing, and, and it was in my preteen and teen years that I, that I was living there. And so I, I loved being in the water, and I loved being, uh, going out and surfing, and, and I began to be, become pretty good at, at, at the sport. And uh, this is when, I don't know if any of you have heard of Ron Johns. Ron Johns was like this little shack. I bought my first uh, skateboard from, from Ron John's surf shop, and, and it was this little shack. Now it's like a mall, uh, if you've ever been there. But, but I remember thinking, man, I could live right here the rest of my life. I could live in the water. And, and, uh, and since then, my parents were, my dad was in the military, so we moved uh, around, and, and we, we were always landlocked after that point. And I was thinking, gosh, I've got to get back in the water. I've got to get, I've, I've got to find a way to get, uh, uh, to be able to surf again. Well, I put, I put together a, a, a little band of brothers, uh, and we went to, to Costa Rica, and and we, fa- we, we, we were scoping out this one spot in Costa Rica that the waves are consistent ye- uh, day after day, uh, almost all year round. So it was a great spot to surf. We had a great time. The waves were great all week long. And, um, but one of the days in the midst of our, our trip, uh, the waves were substantially bigger than the days before. Now, in Florida, we have small waves. We have waves that um, 
you just you just uh, get out there and you can you can surf them and they're good and uh, but but they're small they're not huge. Well, that day these b- waves were big. I mean, they were um, waves of consequence, if you know what I mean. Okay, so I'm paddling out and I'm I'm paddling out to uh, in these waves and I'm going up and over the waves and kind of getting through them and duck diving through them and and I'm getting out to to where we need to be and I'm thinking these are big waves like I'm going I, I better not make a mistake right. So I get out there and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm paddling and I, I see a wave that I want to get and I'm trying to get in position for it and, and I think I, I'm going to make it and, and I'm not quite there and, and I start to take this wave and I've never ridden a, a wave this big. So I, I was like, okay, I'm just going to take it and I start to, uh, I, I, I'm not quite in position and I'm not in the right spot and, and all of a sudden the wave just starts taking me and then all of a sudden it just took me and pounded me and crushed me right into the water. And I was being tossed around like a rag doll. And I was thinking, gosh, this is a wave of consequence. I'm under the water. Now, when, when that happens, you just kind of let the wave do whatever it does to you. It just, you just kind of let it go and just, you just kind of, and then try to figure out your bearings and figure out which way is up. Well, I believe that the, which way was up was, was a certain way. And so I started to swim that way because my breath was running out and I'm, I'm starting to, to swim that way. And, and what I realized was I was upside down. And I began to swim the wrong direction. And then I began to panic because I wasn't reaching the top. And now I'm farther away from the top than I was before. And now I'm trying to get to the top and my breath was running out and I got up to the top and I got my breath, got on my board and it was like, whoa, that was a little scary. Upside down in that moment. Didn't feel good about being upside down in that moment. We have titled this, this message Upside Down kingdom living, because when we look at this section of scripture, we're going to see that it's contrary to what the world says. It's contrary to what the world does. It's contrary to the way the world thinks. It's upside down living. It's upside down thinking. And so this morning, as we look at this, I want you to understand that as we hear this, it might be contrary to what you, you really want to do. Yet it's, it's what God is challenging us with this morning. See, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount together these next two weeks, we're going to find that Jesus gives us a blueprint for kingdom living. God's idea of kingdom living is upside down compared to even our own natural tendencies in life. So what does it mean to participate in the gospel of the kingdom? Well, as we look at the Beatitudes this morning, we'll come to understand that kingdom living has everything to do with our relationship with God and then our relationship with others. So living, a, living in the power of the kingdom has to do with relationship with God that leads us to right relationship with others. So let me break it down for you this morning. As we look at these verses... 
The first four Beatitudes will deal with our relationship with God. So the first four Beatitudes, relationship with God. Second four Beatitudes, relationship with others. So with that, let's begin looking at verse 1 together. It says, And seeing the multitudes, when he went up on the mountain, and he was seated, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Jesus, seeing a, pr- a crowd of people gathered, gathering around him, he goes up on the mountainside, and then he begins to sit and, and, and look down at the crowd, prepared to share some important truths about God's kingdom that's going to follow here in just a few minutes. Jesus begins to give them a list of kingdom principles, a list of things that they need to become or be or take on as the attitude of a a believer. Now, I don't want us to get confused here. Jesus is not giving us a list of do's and don'ts. That is, that if we just follow them, then, then God will be pleased with us. Church, God is not wanting us to be moralists. Moralism says, in order for you to be loved by God, here's a set of behaviors that you need to conform to. That's, that's being a moral, moralist. If you behave this way, God will bless you. That's moralism. Which, by the way, God hates. In fact, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were moralists. Yet Jesus said in Matthew 23, 27, and 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Outwardly you appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If your background in the church is one that you, have to be, you had to behave a certain way in order to be loved and accepted by God, and it's put a bad taste in your mouth because you're not, you've never been able to, to uh, be able to fulfill that list of things that you need to do. I have to tell you, you've, you haven't heard the good news. Church, we're not moralists, but we are called to, be, to live out morality to believe in morality. That's part of kingdom living, and we're gonna see that this morning, kingdom living. Here's what I mean by morality. Morality is being transformed by this spirit's power to accomplish God's will for human flourishing. Christianity has a moral component that is linked to God's design for us. As we read through the scripture, we constantly see, we're constantly reminded that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, that the Holy Spirit lives inside us. He's come and take, he's come and took residence inside us, and that God's design for us is for us to flourish. Yet, that doesn't come by moralism. It doesn't come by doing a bunch of right things. It comes by yielding to the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. It's yielding to the one that already is, is going to empower us to come and become those things that God is wanting to flourish us in. And allowing 
human flourishing to occur by aligning our hearts with God's good design. We're going to see God's design in these Beatitudes this morning. That means God has already equipped you to live out the Beatitudes. He's already equipped you. You just have to tap into the one that lives inside and say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me to do this. Give me the power, the strength to be able to live this out instead of pulling up your own bootstraps and doing it on your own. I can do this. I can be these Beatitudes on my own. No, you can't. It's impossible. So as we live out this new nature that God has given us, we can then become, start to live out in these things. Well, let's look at, at what God has for us in, in verse 3. It says, blessed. Now, these Beatitudes all begin with this word blessed. Any Greek scholar will tell you that the word blessed here is, 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 not, is kind of light in comparison to what Jesus was trying to say. Oh, just you're ble- blessed uh, blessed are you, you know, he's not, he, what it's really trying to say is, is a shout of joy. It's, it's this idea of being exceedingly glad. The joy that comes from a relationship with God. It's not ha- being happy. It's being filled with this exceeding joy that you're going through these things. So as you read this, I want you to have that perspective as we go through these. So let's look at verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever encountered the poor? Maybe in our city. You know, our city's getting worse. We, we have more, more homeless than, than we have ever had in, in our city Have you ever encountered them? They have nothing to offer you, do they? No, they want something from us. I remember meeting this young little boy in the city of Tegucigalpa, Honduras, many years ago. He was four years old. I was there doing ministry and we would walk the streets and we would pass this little boy that was begging. He had a little cup and he, was, he would just stand there. He was tattered, his clothes were tattered, tattered and, and, and torn and, and, and dirty and, and he had his little brother next to him, a two-year-old brother, sitting in the middle of a busy downtown Tegucigalpa. Sit there with his brother, cup, begging. And I remember one day I was thinking, uh, we, I had, didn't have, we were always walking through that section and, and I, I wanted to stop and, and talk to him, but God had gripped my heart uh, with this little boy. And, and, and when I had some free time, I took my friend and I said, let's go, let's go find this little, little guy and, and find out what's going on in, in, in his life. And so um, I went there to see if he was there and he was, and I, I, I stopped and I said, I said, why are you here? And where are your parents? And he began to share a story with me. He began to tell me that his, his mom, his dad didn't, wasn't in the family and his mom was crippled. And she sends him out every day to try to get money for the family so that they can exist because she can't leave. 
And so he is, his life is to go out and, and depend upon everyone around them to, to, to exist in life. Please, would you, would you help me? This little boy with his brother standing there. Church, that's poor. He was utterly dependent upon everyone around him to provide for his needs. Poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This word poor means bankrupt. It means literally you have nothing to nothing in your bank account. It's at zero. You have nothing to offer anyone. Jesus is saying, blessed are the bankrupt in spirit, meaning I have nothing to offer God. Utterly broken, dependent upon the Lord. Lord, I need you today. Oh, please help me. Please, please help me. I'm utterly dependent upon you, Lord. You see, this is the beginning of, of what God wants us to understand about our relationship with him. We need to be utterly dependent upon him, and he's trying to, to under, help us understand that. The Bible commentary says this about poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who consciously depend upon God and not on themselves. They are poor inwardly, having no ability in themselves to please God. Now let me say that, say that again inwardly having no ability in themselves to please God. Hmm. Matthew Henry says this, poverty of spirit is a gracious disposition of soul by which we are emptied, we emptied of self in order to be filled with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I see through scripture is those that have a humble heart, those that are broken and lowly, those that uh, are in need, those that come and are spiritually broken and spiritually bankrupt, those are the ones that experience God in a very unique and powerful way. You see, in America, we celebrate strength. We celebrate pride. We celebrate self-sufficiency. I'm self-sufficient. But Jesus flips that upside down. And he says, I celebrate humility. I celebrate lowliness. And I celebrate poor in spirit. Those that are dependent upon me. Look at the promise that comes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. There's something powerful about kingdom living that we need to understand. We need to become poor in spirit. Look at verse four. Blessed are the more, uh, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Lord comes near to those, the person that realizes that they're a sinner. A person that is mourning their sin. God comforts those who are broken over their mistakes. As we realize that we are bankrupt in spirit, it leaves us in a place that, to cry out to the Lord, to mourn over our sin and our mistakes in our lives, and, and brings us to a constant place of repentance, a place of, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I'm mourning. I, I'm, I'm broken over this. 
God comes near to those that mourn. And then he says in, in the last part of that, they shall be comforted. You see, God, God hears the cries of his people and he, he responds to those and he comes near to those that, that cry out to him. The question is, is why is it so hard for us to have a heart, a heart like that? A, a constant heart of repentance. One that's willing to, to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And, and express our need of dependence upon him. Let's look on in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the word meek here is the Greek word praus. It's a term used to describe a, a powerful stallion. Now think of this powerful stallion, this, this horse that is just filled with, with strength, but it's broken. It's able to be ridden because it's yielded to its rider. So what this is really saying is meekness is freedom from pride. If you're experiencing the grace of God, if you've, you've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, then you have the, no right to, to have pride. You have no right to have self-confidence, right? Let me ask you a question. Who rescued you out of the pit of sin? Who ransomed you and bought you back? Who pulled you out of the miry clay? It wasn't you by just pulling up your bootstraps and doing it. No, it was Jesus Christ. Jesus did it all. Jesus saved you from all of that. You see, this eradicates any opportunity for self-confidence. It lowers me and makes me meek. Because I didn't do anything. God did. Then we begin to walk in meekness. Then we begin to, to walk with power under control, yielded to the Holy Spirit, saying, Lord, what do you want? This is, ki- this is kingdom living, guys. This is contrary. This is upside-down thinking compared to what the world says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God says, in, his, in my kingdom, those that are meek shall rule and reign the earth. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteous, righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, let's, let's see the progression here. We're poor in spirit, right? We're, we have nothing to offer God. We, we're dependent upon him. Then we mourn our sin. We're, we're broken over the things that are mistakes in life, and then from there, we, we, we find we, we become meek. And now that we have rid ourselves of self-glory, right? Something beautiful happens. We become hungry for something beautiful. And that is hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for God. And as we hunger and thirst for God, it says we will be satisfied. He's going to fill us up. He's going to satisfy our hearts, our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not satisfied. 
Well, maybe if, if we begin to put these attitudes and these, these attributes into place through the power of the Spirit, maybe we, we, we will be satisfied. Church, the reason so many people aren't filled with satisfaction is because they haven't been emptied. Most of us are filled with ourselves. Our pride, our self-sufficiency. Those things must go in order for hunger and thirst for righteousness to come. The other day I was in my office and I, I had come to the, the church and I was working in my office and I was, I was um, uh, just getting stuff done and, and I look at the clock and it's one o'clock and my, my stomach is telling me, you need to go eat somewhere, right? You need to put some food in, in, in your stomach and it, all I had had that morning was coffee, I didn't have any breakfast, and then I skipped, and I was almost skipping lunch, and then I, and my stomach was like, hello, you need to get in your car, you need to drive over to Smashburger, and you need to order some, a nice, thick burger. But what I want you to understand is, if I just sat in that hunger, and thir- hunger for, for that burger, and I did nothing about it, it means nothing. It took me getting in my car, going over there, and then, and then ordering that, receiving it, and then biting into it to satisfy my hunger. Some of us are hungry for God in word, but not in deed. If we aren't hungry, if we're hungry for God, if we're hungry for righteousness, then we're going to start to feast on God's word. We're going to open it up and say, Lord, oh Lord, it's so good to feast on your word. It's so good to, to taste and see that you are good, Lord. Thank you so much. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, righteousness, for they shall be filled now, in verse 7, Jesus switches gears here and moves to how we are to have relationship with others. As we have right relationship with God, then it leads us to right relationship with others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, in these next four Beatitudes, I, I might be stepping on some toes this morning, okay? Actually, God may be stepping on your toes. When we talk about mercy, we're really talking about exhibiting compassion towards the unfortunate. It's really what it is. Now, guys, that's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. Mercy is compassion extended to others as an ethical practice of worship to God. There are two basic components to our Christian life. There is right belief coupled with right practice. Right belief coupled with right practice. God's anger was stirred in the Old Testament because the children of Israel had right belief but wrong practice. Right belief but wrong practice. Church, we could easily fall into the same rut, can't we? Right belief, wrong practice. Jesus calls that hypocrisy. He says it's saying one thing and doing another. It's believing one thing but doing another. 
Are we really willing to show mercy to the unfortunate? Compassion towards the unfortunate in our city? Or do we just turn a blind eye? I don't really see that over there. Nope, doesn't exist in my head. We're driving along. Oh, I'm going to look the other way. Compassion toward the unfortunate. Nope, not in my world. Guys, I do it too. I'm right there with you. We need to show compassion, mercy toward the unfortunate. Maybe it's to a neighbor that we see all the time and we know that they're unfortunate. We need to reach out to them. Maybe it's a family member and now I'm getting real. A family member that is unfortunate over and over again. That doesn't mean you meet their every need. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying show care. Show love. Show, be kind. Show compassion. I'm so sorry that you're in this situation. Speak the name of Jesus to them. Begin to be that conduit that God wants you to be. I'll be honest, the hardest part, hard, hardest time for me to be merciful is, is when I need to get somewhere. When I'm on my way to go somewhere. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be, I, I don't want any distractions. I'm just going. I'm, I'm, I'm headed out. I, I, I don't see any of you. I'm just going to get where I need to go. I don't know if that happens to you. Am I the only one in here? It's sad but true because I'm inconvenienced in that moment. Do you think Jesus, uh, when he was on his way, said, you know what, Uh, uh, sorry, Uh, I don't really care about you. I got something to do. Do you think he just, just was inconsiderate and wasn't compassionate to the ones around him? I don't think Jesus acted that way. I think he was the one that, that stopped and maybe was a few minutes late because he, he, he showed compassion. He might have not healed everyone that he walked by, but he, he showed compassion. He was caring. And I think that's what we're being challenged with in, in, in our lives. If you're a believer here, you've received mercy. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You've obtained mercy. If you're a believer in here, you've received the mercy of Christ. You have been forgiven of your sin. You've you've received the grace of God. And you've, you've experienced mercy like no other. So you should be a, a mercy giver to those around you. Begin to be merciful. Begin to pray for Lord, help me to be merciful. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for, theirs is, for they shall see God. There's a difference between having a clean heart and a pure heart. All of us, have, all of us that have embraced God, that are believers in Christ, have a clean heart. But a pure heart is one not distracted by the things of this world. 
A pure heart is one that's not distracted by the things of this world. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? By Netflix and toys and things of this world, we just start to get distracted and and we get off track of what God is really wanting us to do and be and, and, and become because of all the toys and things that we have. He's saying, Blessed are the pure in heart. Those that aren't distracted by those things, that stay on, on track with, with what God is wanting you to do. Here's, Lord, me and you, man. I'm being pure in heart right now. Think of it this way. All soap is clean. When you go to the store and you buy soap, it's clean, right? You, you would, or or we, we hope so, right? We hope that... We buy, we, we buy soap to clean ourselves to, because soap is clean. But all, not all soap is pure. Some soap have additives and coloring and things that they add to the soap. It is clean soap, but it's not pure. And so God is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, those that keep themselves from the world. What things have you allowed to become a vice in your lives that might have been distractions? Maybe you need to talk about that as a, as a husband and wife. Some things you need to put away. Things you need to not be distracted by anymore. I encourage you to do that. Scripture tells us that we should be in the world but not of the world. We are to look different Act different, speak different. Look at verse nine. Blessed are the the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Talk about upside down in our culture today. We are the farthest thing from seeking peace in America today. We are so divided. Wouldn't you agree? You know what's sad is that God's people have experienced a profound peace through their creator, yet we cannot walk in peace with uh, another brother in Christ who has a different political stance than we do. That's super sad. You know, I just want you to know that there are Christian Republicans and Christian Democrats and they're sitting in this room. <gasps> and if we were to sit at a table, we would have arguments today if we tried to talk about it. Peacemakers. Blessed. Oh, happy are those that are peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. There's something close to God in being a son of God when you're a peacemaker and you pursue peace with one another instead of, instead of pursuing hostility. Let me suggest through the power of God to refuse to participate in, violent, the, in the violent polarization in our nation today. Just refuse to participate. Choose, choose peace. Choose to not post on Facebook just to stir up a conversation that you know that will cause tension. Stop it. Don't do it. 
Don't participate. What, what would happen if we just refused to participate in it? That we chose peace instead. Now, some of you are saying, well, we need to take a stance. We need to speak out. But I, I want to encourage you and challenge you to think about the Beatitudes a, a little bit in that heart. I don't see Jesus saying, take a stance. He says, pursue peace. What would it be like if we just sought to understand those people? Sought to understand their point of view. Listened. Loved. Cared. Maybe we would learn something. Maybe we actually could love each other and be a brother to someone in in the body of Christ instead of say, I just don't understand you. To seek peace instead of hostility. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people. So God is honored when we pursue peace with all men. Believers and non-believers. Let's continue on in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are you who have reviled and who are reviled and persecute. Perse- Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so your for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, guys. Church, we don't know persecution in this generation in America. We think persecution is that someone defriended us on Facebook. But I have to tell you, that's not true of our our Christian heritage. Scripture tells us that we were arrested, that we were killed, that we were fed to lions, that we were sawed in two that we were boiled alive and put in prison and had stuff looted from us according to Hebrews chapter 12, had our houses burned to the ground. Hebrews chapter 11, sorry. James chapter one says this, verse two through four. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So there is a purpose in tribulation, in persecution. God says, you're going to be rewarded for that. In fact, I'm going to do a work in you as you go through those things. So my question for us this morning, are we willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? Now, I'm not just talking about suffering in America without Jesus connected to that because of your political stance or because of this. I'm talking about the name of Jesus. Are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? What are you willing to go through for his name? Now we're getting serious in here. I believe persecution is coming for the church in America. The question is, what will we do? I'm not sure. 
Now, as we look on in, in these Beatitudes, in this Sermon on the Mount, in verses 13 through 16, Jesus is going to challenge us with how to live these attitudes out, to how to put them into practice. Loving God and then loving others, now how? Let's look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, salt, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, when Jesus said this, he probably, would, he probably heard a chuckle in, in, the, in the crowd because the people in the crowd knew that salt can't lose its saltiness. I mean, have you ever, have you ever found salt that doesn't have salt? That... See, there's the chuckle. Thank you very much. Finally. Yeah, you, you, salt is salt. Like, have you ever found salt not to be salt? Oh, oh, we got to throw the salt away at home because it's, it's, it's lost its saltiness. No. Salt is salt. Jesus is trying to make a point here. He's trying to say, you either are salt or you're not salt. You're either mine or you're not mine. You're one or the other. You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt does a few things. Salt brings flavor. When I go to the movie theater and I get popcorn, it has salt on it already because they know they're not going to sell much of it if it doesn't. Popcorn on its, on its own by itself is not that great. I mean, some of you health people out there, they th- you think it's great. I don't know. But so- salt makes popcorn much better. Amen? And then if you add butter to that, ooh, yeah. The problem is it doesn't say it doesn't say you are the butter of the earth. It says you are the salt of the earth. So we're going to leave butter over there for a second and talk about salt. Salt brings flavor. We are through these attitudes, through these beatitudes as we become as we start to walk in relationship with God and we start to love others in this way and we start to be merciful and peacemakers we are going to become the salt of the earth we're going to become the flavor to the world and they're going to say there's something different about you there's something unique and, and different and I want that You're, that flavor give me some of that you know my my wife makes these great black beans but if she doesn't put salt in them, you might as well throw them away. They're horrible. But with salt, they're great. We are the flavor for this world to experience. Salt promotes thirst. When I go to the movie theater and I, I have popcorn, I have to get a Coke with it. That's why they do that. So you buy more. Because it makes you thirsty. And we are to be the thirst that the world sees, that they want. Oh, I want, I'm thirsty for what you have. What is it that you have? It's Jesus. Jesus is being, being spread out to the world. He's not talking about being salt to the body of Christ. He's being, 
He's talking about being salt to the, to the lost, salt to the world, salt to those that are out there that need to know Jesus, need to know the, the, the uniqueness that, and, the, and, the, and the beauty of being, knowing his grace. And then lastly, salt heals. You know, Jesus is in the, in, in the business of healing lives. He's in the business of healing hearts. He's in the business of forgiving sin and healing the past hurts. That's what Jesus does. You are the salt of the earth. He wants to use your life to bring healing through Jesus' name. The question I have to ask you is, are you losing your saltiness? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I wish I had more time to just unpack this, but I don't. But here's... The, my concluding thoughts. As, as you go into a room that's dark and you flip on that light, it, it, the light exposes the darkness. It, it, takes, it takes over. And Jesus wants to use your life, each one of our lives, to be that light that penetrates the darkness. But if we have that light under a basket, if we have that high light hidden, then it's not going to do anything. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. I was driving from here to California, and I was going through Las Vegas, and, and, I, and I was getting closer to Las Vegas, and I remember going, wow, I think that's the city of Las Vegas, because the sky was all lit up. You can't hide that. It is bright. And I thought to myself, I should be close to Las Vegas. And I kept driving. And it was like, I just kept driving and driving because you could see it for miles. And Jesus is saying, that's the way we are. Our lives are a light in the darkness. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let people see the good works of your life through the power of Jesus, through Becoming, by tapping into the Holy Spirit and, and allowing the power of the Spirit to, to allow you to be these attitudes, these beatitudes that God calls us to be. So I want you to think about your relationship with God. Does it look like this? Does it look poor in spirit? Does it look like mourning? You see, there's a lot of brokenness in that, isn't there? There's a lot of, gosh, Lord, I feel like I'm getting lower and lower. I just need to feel like, that's not what God is wanting to say. You're under, that you're, you're just nothing. But what he is saying is, I'm God and you're not. And trust me. Lean into me. Depend on me. Let me lead you, and, and let's see where I, I take you. And love people. 
this way. Love people like Christ loved people. Be merciful. Be a peacemaker. Don't stir up hostility. And then the world will see something beautiful through your life. Then we will be the salt of the earth. Then will we, we will be the light of the world. And the, and the world will wonder, wow, what is this that, we, that, that we're experiencing? Would you stand with me as we close? Jesus is challenging us with upside-down living. Church, this is contrary to what the world says. Yet, it is everything that Jesus is asking us to do. So let's, let's begin to live that out through the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this, this information, this text, this challenge, Lord, these beatitudes, Lord, that you've given us. Lord, may you help us to, to put these things in practice through the power of your spirit, not in our own strength, but in your strength, Lord. Would you take us to that place of brokenness, Lord, in our walk with you? And through that brokenness and that dependence upon you that we would begin to understand how to love others and how to be that salt and light to the world. Lord, empower us to do this. We can't do this on our own. Lord, we need you this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.